Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. Ah, the land of FileMaker Pro. I had a great conversation, which you guys get to enjoy, with Paul Bradley from Eventric, who shares his stories about starting out on the road and working in tour operations and also as a drummer, working his way to taking files on the road on uh, early compact computers and everybody creating their own tool sets for touring concerts and taking it all the way to how then they launched Eventric and what's happening in anything from predictive data, security, environmental management, and ways to kind of get into the touring business if you're a young person wanting to get started. So enjoy this conversation with Paul and see how this might parallel your experiences working with complex information in various experiences. So how many moving parts are involved in a tour? I'm assuming you've got all this staff involved and you've got the kind of the where and the when stuff involved. Yeah, I mean, you think, I guess the easiest way we explain it to people outside our industry is that we you know, aren't providing any services for the fan. This is strictly for the crew and the team of the event or the band or the tour to organize all of the information, the production, all the logistics, the scheduling, the travel, all of the ticketing, the budgeting, and all the personnel management in one place. So it's traditionally something that um, tours have been using various Excel sheets or databases or document online document um, applications. And you end up having a lot of redundancy, a lot of re-entry of a lot of this information and distributing it to different people in different ways. What master tour has primarily always been as a way to collect all of the pertinent information to execute a tour in one place and then make it easy for people with various levels of access and permissions to get the information that they need. So how in the world did you get into this? Are you this massively coordinated uh, <laughs> person who, when he was a child, used to alphabetize the canned goods in their mom's cupboard? Or are you the massively organized guy who said this is the way that things should happen or how did you end up doing this? Yeah, no, I was the opposite. And I think my parents would agree. I certainly wasn't organized. I probably wasn't um, uh, the best student as far as that went throughout high school. But when I did go to college um, and for nothing in music or technology, I started a promotion company just for um, interest, out of interest of bringing bands that I wanted to see come to my town. And so where was your this, town? Where did you start This at? was in Des Moines, Iowa. So Des Moines, the hotbed Des Moines, of Des Moines. hotbed of culture and technology. Excellent. Um, but it actually was, you know, because you had a lot of activity kind of in the bigger schools. So we would drive, you know, distances to see bands, even up to Minneapolis. So started a small you know, independent outside of the school promotion company. And that just got me interested in kind of the mechanics of putting on a live event. So after I graduated college, moved back to Chicago and immediately got a job as an intern at an independent record label and literally doing the get the coffee, clean the desk, um, you know, drive the van, pick up the gear type of stuff that lasted for about a year. And in between, I became, you know, a little more 
responsible within the label. And it was also a management company, had a bunch of bands on it. So I was really getting interested in band management and then just kind of touring operations. Um, Really had no intent of what that was going to bring me to do. What it ended up bringing me into was being the drummer of one of the bands, which was supposed to just be a fill-in for a few weeks until they found a proper drummer. That ended up being about nine years of touring with this band over you know 200 plus shows a year. So it was a complete career change. And throughout that, um, I think out of, you know, as anyone knows that when they're on the road that much of the year, it's pretty boring. You know, we were touring at the trailer van, you know, um, level. We didn't have a gigantic crew. We didn't have a tour bus. We were doing almost all of the work ourselves, you know, loading our gear, settling the shows, finding the hotels, and most importantly, like finding things to do for the 18 hours a day that you're not really doing anything on stage. Um, So during that time, I just started building in a very basic database, a way to collect our contracts, you know, um, secure guest lists things like travel, if there was any, or hotel rooms, and a venue database, mostly. So every time we played a lot of these clubs, repeatedly, I could go back and see what we did. And, um, you know, so it was just this kind of process of adding to this database, you know, for four or five years. Um, And it kind of became our, it wasn't even master tour at that point. It kind of just became a way that we conducted our business from, you know, generating contracts to tracking deposits to guest lists to hotels and venue data. And so then when, told, when was this? This was in the mid '90s. So this is uh, Microsoft Access, maybe, or this is FileMaker. This FileMaker. Yes. Uh, I, this might. This might have even been Claris FileMaker. Oh wow! So you were carrying. So you were. You were. You had a, a desktop computer that was having to get plugged in. Uh, I guess this probably wasn't even a laptop time. No, no. This was a PC compact. I can't remember the model. It was white. It probably had a. 12 inch screen it and probably fl- was floppy 15 drives. pounds floppy drives yeah certainly no no yeah the first one no um disk drive um you know gigantic heavy but uh, that would you know power us on the road so we, we were I, I remember showing up sometimes with a laptop you know to a small club in fargo and it'd be quite impressive that we had this type of you know technology power with us on the road for, for um, younger folks listening, they're probably going, what are they talking about? And older oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had one of those. Yeah. This band that we used to tour with really wound up this one time because they showed up with a GPS unit that connected, um, I can't remember how, into the laptop. And then they could actually, you know, this was way before even GPS was in cars. So I, I was just blown away at this technology. I mean, I was, it was enraged with jealousy that they could, you know, have this very <laughs> primitive GPS tracking of their, of their tour routing. Um, cool. But so anyway, so half, you know, towards the end of the nineties, we teamed up with um, a bunch of crew that had originally been with the smashing pumpkins. And one of the fellas, um, he and I hit it off kind of in a tech nerd way where he had a, database that he had begun he, or he developed for smashing pumpkins in a similar type of capacity so we just started kind of combining these things in various ways um, pretty quickly he was hired by the Dave matthews band to be their monitor engineer he brought that software to Dave matthews band and that's kind of what really kick-started um, master tour becoming more than just you know a small system you know for a small band in a in a trailer and van driving around the country um for a few years the day matthews band really 
stood behind it and kind of influenced a lot of the direction of the original version of Master Tour, just adding features. And this was, you know, they were they were playing stadiums and um, sheds at this point, so it really um, kind of morphed into a solution that could handle a lot more things at the time. And really, at that point, still, I was just excited to a be getting off the road, work more on technology. Um, you know, and helping Dave Matthews and their crew out with this system and various other things that we were experimenting, you know, with the band. But it wasn't until, you know, years later, probably, you know, in the early 2000s, where we started to get a lot of interest from other bands, just out of association with Dave. It was the Neil Young camp and Beastie Boys and Food Fighters and Third Eye Blind and all these bands that we became friendly with and they would just ask, Hey, what, what is that that you guys use? There was nothing like it. And we were just giving it away, you know, just installing it on their laptops and showing them how to use it. And then I think, you know, most constructively listening to what they needed and how they operated slightly different on the road than a Dave Matthews band. So for another five years, again, without any big intent of this becoming a business, we just kept ingesting these ideas from all these other tour managers and production managers and managers and doing as best we could to build it into that current version of master tour. So when did you decide this then was a company and when did you stop being on tour? So right. um, Pretty much 2001, I stopped touring, you know, the band wasn't playing as many shows so it was a, you know, became a thing from 200 shows to 100 shows to 50 to 10 to five. Um, so probably, you know, early 2000s is when I, when I completely stopped um, touring as a musician. Um, and that's when the focus became more just on technology and software and building things for the, the touring industry. And then it wasn't until really, um, I remember the guy, Joel Inane, one of the greatest you know, production managers in our industry that he was out with Luther Vandross. And I had just been on this worldwide tour of giving the software away to anyone that would take it. And he finally said, how much is it? And I had to on, you know, spot on, think up a price that seemed fair. He paid it and I took the check home and I'm like, you know, first I have to create a bank account to be able to deposit <laughs> this into. And a DBA but, and a few other things. Yeah, right. But it was kind of the first time I'm like, wow, people actually pay for this. Like it's, it's you know, proving out to be a pretty nice system that's running some pretty significant tours. Um, and it was still in FileMaker. So as, you know, we ended up with 30 or 40 different bands, tours on it, and it started crashing miserably. It started just imploding and it was a very difficult thing to you know maintain all these different systems because it was still you know just browse it wasn't browser based it was just a application built in filemaker so if you had corrupt files if you had these issues that would happen it would just literally we would be fedexing cd roms to people to reinstall the application through this you know painstakingly process to not overwrite data um, and so it started really collapsing. We were getting a ton of interest, but it wasn't scaling well. So right around 2006, 2007, I kind of decided, hey, if this is going to be a real business and if we can really get into this space and innovate, um, we're going to need some money. You know, so pulled together a small seven-page business plan, went to friends of friends and family of family and you know, tried to pull together some money got a quick seed round together that allowed me to hire some legitimate programmers. And that seed round quickly turned into a series A that 
again, this now is 2008, 2009, not the best year um, no, terrible to, year. Raise, <laughs> to raise money. So it took about three or four years to, to complete our raise, but kind of looking back that, that I think was the most constructive way we could have, um, you know, got an investment. Cause I think if, if this was the heyday and we had millions of dollars thrown at us for a pretty, you know, uh, underserved market and for a industry that, you know, we were you know pretty much creating kind of these tools and there were any comparables. We weren't trying to do something that had been done just a lot better. We were going in and saying, Hey, this seems like we can do this in a lot better way and provide this to people. So, you know, having this rolling raise, having this kind of extended process where we're really bootstrapping and really having to, you know, prove things in the market before we just launched this massive application, um, definitely in the long run helped us out. And yet, trying to probably live more than one system at a time. I've worked with several companies over time that are part of a uh, aging um, database framework, right? And are needing to essentially not just move from one house to another, but to be really redoing the entire underbelly of the company while the company is in motion. Was that part of some of the challenges at the time? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we were not only constructing, you know, the company, you know, operationally and getting all of the things in line, especially raising money. You know, we needed certain elements in the company that just didn't exist, you know, a board and, you know, a team, you know, I, I hired a CEO that had experience in software. And, you know, so yeah, it, it was, we were doing three things at once, completely re-architecting our platform and, and then a whole new, um, you know, backend. We were discovering what the market would be. We were, you know, outreaching and just saying, how big is this market? Who will actually buy this at what price point? You know, we're building the infrastructure of a company. We had about 10 people at the time and just dealing with all of the governance of your normal corporate structure um, and trying to raise money in 2008, you know, when the, the you know, market is collapsing and um, nobody is investing. So it was a pretty intense, you know, five years of trying to put all that stuff together. Um, you know, and again, just kind of day by day bootstrapping from, you know, being able to afford things and hire, but also, you know, every bit of the technology and the functionality that we were putting out there, you know, was, was really studied. You know, we weren't taking a lot of guesses. Um, and I think, again, if we had kind of this influx of capital, you know, we probably would have rushed to market certain things that just weren't needed. And in the long run, it wouldn't have kind of built the credibility that we have for the tools that we provide now. So let's talk more broadly about the touring industry and business and, and during that time. So was it changing during that time to need the additional complexity support? And has that continued to change now? You know, I think it has. We again, didn't, you know, we, for, for the most part, created this, this service for the touring industry. Um, and it just became, it came out of my need for my band. It came out of my original partner's need for his band. And then it was a fairly sophisticated industry to a certain extent. Um, you know, there's incredibly smart people running the touring industry on the road, uh, but it's a little antiquated on technology. I mean, you'll get the most innovative cutting edge things for sound and for lighting and for, you know, um, audio mixing and recording tons of innovation there. But at the end of the day, you know, back then you'd still have these 
crews of 200 plus people playing in arenas, um, you know, with 18,000 people coming to see the show and a show of which none of that existed in the facility that morning. Everything is brought to these locations every single day. Everything you see on the stage, everything backstage from the catering to the operational offices, you know, to just, you know, all of the things that are needed to organize that event that night start in the morning and are loaded out at the end of the night. You know, so it's an incredibly complex series of, of um, operations that really has to move from one place to another every single day for the most part. So that was kind of what we realized and it was somewhat antiquated on the tools that they were using. Everything was still just in Excel or in three ring binders and printed out, you know, so. Well, and in people's memories too, right? So that you have people who are massively embedded experts that have such art in their heads of what this is that you had tools connecting experts. And that, that still to this day, and I don't know how that differs from other industries. There was without a doubt, you know, the top 20 production managers and tour managers that we work with, um, even more than the top 20. I mean, there is just you, this experience that they've had from 10, 20, 30 years of touring that no amount of data analytics, you know, or, you know, predictive tools could help them conclude or come up with that decision for that day. I mean, it's dealing with the artists and their temperament. It's dealing with promoters and um, production, you know, venue production people and crew and, and union. And the quirks you know, so, of a venue and to know to look right. for the quirks of a venue. And, and, and what, what to ask for, what not to ask for. You know, there's all these things that really, at the end of the day, point to the artist to be able to put on a good show. And it, it sounds, you know, a little bit high maintenance. All of these things that, our users do the tour manager and the catering and the production manager, you know, they're managing, you know, thousands of these little micro activities so that it's a successful show so that the monitor wedge doesn't go out for the guitar player in the middle of the set so that there is like a healthy, you know, um, snack in between lunch and show and all these little things, you know, fresh towels, that the bus isn't 10 miles from the stage. And if there is, there's a golf cart ready. So it's weird that all these little things, and if they happen perfectly, and that most of these people in the industry do and execute amazingly, you know, the artists can think about putting on a good show. They don't have to think about their health. They don't have to think about why they're so miserable because they haven't been home in a year and a half. You know, it's, it's creating this environment that can be as comfortable as possible so that the artists can do what they're supposed to do, which is put on a good show, stay healthy, you know, mentally healthy, physically healthy, and that type of, um, you know, kind of just organization, I think, leads to more shows. It leads to the artists wanting to be on the road more, being happier on the road, putting on a better show that translates to the fans, um, and it translates back to the crew. You know, there's plenty of stories of bands that are nightmares to work with, and plenty of stories of bands that have nothing and are some of the nicest, most professional people in the world. There's a amazing quote by Henry Rollins that I can't do verbatim, but he basically posted this on some stage at some point and basically said, Hey, take care of your crew. You know, they're the first ones there. They're the last ones to leave, you know, check your ego at the door and be respectful to everybody. You know, that is helping you put on the show. And that, that really says a lot, you know, to I'm putting on kind of a good, environment and creating a good culture for the road because it's a, it's a i've never toured extensively but you know imagine 
just being at a normal job, but then taking everybody in your job, sticking them on a bus and traveling around the country and not having really great, you know, hotels or showers or food for six months. Um, you know, that that's an element that is so unique to our industry that adds to the complexity of, you know, just putting on a good show and, and staying happy while you're doing it. So it's, it's, you guys have developed something that allows sort of a best of mechanism for, I tend to think of it as time travel, that <laughs> needing to be able to see time and place in motion with information being captured. Uh, when I have not worked with tours, but when I work with event management, I tend to comment that the best event managers can almost see hours into the future and see that something's yep. coming up the road that they will need to take action now so that it's not a problem in two hours and you kind of are providing a way to visualize that. It, and that's a perfect analogy because it is a good tour manager can anticipate problems with checking in at an airport, you know, and that could, that's a nightmare. You bring 20 people to check in on a flight and something wasn't confirmed or, you know, they didn't anticipate the traffic or they didn't anticipate, you know, the, um, f delay in flight and now they're at the airport for eight hours instead of staying at the hotel you know those are exactly these little predictive things that when you have that experience you just know um, and what the you know what we provide with master tour um, mostly is just organizational tools you know so that all of that stuff can be in one place and it can be distributed in a consistent way um, I think one of the nicest things that we see now are, you know, we have over 170,000 mobile users. So a good chunk of the touring world, the, the crew are on our mobile device. And that's where they go to find out what they're supposed to do for that tour that week, that day. So, you know, for the most part, it becomes this really consistent spot for them to go to, no matter how many tours that they're on. They're not creating a new Dropbox link. They're not, you know, subscribing to a new iCal um, subscription, it's always in their master tour mobile app. They always know exactly where to go for the hotels, where to go to put in a guest list request, you know, where to go for a tour directory. Um, and then where they can see, you know, the past five, 10 years of their touring is now kind of accessible on their phone. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's really normalizing a lot of this information, cutting down on the redundancy so that a tour manager or production manager can really do the important things back to your point of predicting a incredibly you know horrendous day at the airport so that they can you know provide kind of a better day um, and not having to kind of just regenerate all this information you know over and over again so with so much information now being available are there predictive models in what you're doing or is that an opportunity in the future to do more predictive analytics yeah, that, that's definitely an opportunity we have. I mean, most of what, and, and we're now entering our third version of Master Tour 3.0, which was just released, uh, actually just released this week. It's been in beta for about four months, and the um, full version is out this week. And we're in May 2019 for those who are listening. And going yes, to right. Yeah. yeah. So, so where is this going from here? Where do you see touring changing? I mean, we've seen streaming come in as a major force on the recorded music side yep. and all the data coming from that we see a lot bigger tours a lot of interesting things happening on the festival side what does this do for the art and technology of touring 
Well, one thing that's been interesting being in this business, you know, since the nineties is, you know, I've witnessed it going from a complete industry of recorded music to, um, fund the touring, you know, touring was just a lost leader used to generate more album sales. Then when Napster and then streaming came along, it kind of flipped, you know, now artists bands are going out to tour as much as they can to promote the streaming because typically they're not making as much money as they had been, you know, by selling CDs and cassettes. Um, and now actually, you know, another five years since streaming really came into force, we're actually seeing the label become more engaged and the artists, you know, not completely, I think fairly, but starting to get paid justly for their streaming activity. So the nice thing for us being a technology company in the touring industry is that everybody's touring um, and they're touring a lot longer. You know, typically it was just a summer season, maybe a little bit in the fall and spring, but now you really see bands um, go out and tour as much as they can. And that generates a lot of revenue, you know, for everybody involved. So that is really helping us grow is uh, so you know, as a as a business providing these touring tools, and it Master Tour has always been a system that has just been helping them organize information once the tour, once the event has been booked. You know, we've also represented ourselves as kind of a post-contract type of utility. It's never been used to say, "Hey, I'm a band, and I think I should go tour," you know, across the Midwest. Where should I go and play? And we're never, you know, I don't know if there's ever going to be enough data analytics, you know, or predictive technology to perfectly execute a tour for a band based on their genre and kind of the patterns and you know where they're going to do the best and what markets so what we are excited for the future of the company is you know we've by far have the most touring data you know of any service out there we have the most venue information you know we've got the industry's largest venue database so if someone is looking to play at a venue they can go through our venue database, pull up a capacity, you know, a venue type, for example, could be, you know, they, they want to say, Hey, we want to play somewhere within the, you know, Chicago market in a 4,000 seater. That's all ages. That's indoor. So we're starting to provide these tools that aren't predictive, but are a little more analytical on doing searches for things that aren't available in this industry on a data wise yet, just into that, getting that specific kind of into the, facility and the production requirements of these venues. So that's an exciting part of, of where we want to go with this now that we've got kind of, kind of got a good critical mass of users um, on the system. Um, the other big thing that we're starting to do is form partnerships with, and, and this is the new platform is allowing us to do this finally, but forming partnerships with some of the big booking agencies and record labels, travel agents, so that, all of, again, this data just doesn't have to be redundantly entered in four or five different systems. So we kind of envision this universal system that when the shows are confirmed from the agency side, it populates a master tour. Then the travel agencies that work with the entertainment industry can see certain bits of information and funnel the travel confirmation info into that tour. And then the label can go in and kind of manage the um you know, the things that they're doing on the publicity side and the marketing side, the venues can go in and update their information. So during this advanced process, which is an extensive period of time where you have to kind of communicate with the venue and the promoters to tell them, hey, this is exact, exactly what we have. What exactly do you have as far as equipment? You know, centralizing that online um, could be an incredibly efficient tool 
you know, for all sides involved in the advance process. So that's kind of another big step we're taking with this release this year. And I'm assuming security is of gigantic importance. Very much so. Yeah, we've, we've spent a lot of time with just being compliant and really protecting the data because we are, you know, starting to track a lot of sensitive information, a lot of financial information, a lot of info, you know, personnel information and travel preferences. So yes, that, that is of the utmost importance to us on the security side. Surprisingly, it's not the first question everybody asks, um, but it's good for us to have that back up when they do. Well, I think people are so used to thinking about email and text messages and all these loose threads of information about themselves and don't tend to think if I'm emailing someone with this information that first of all, Lord knows where it goes. Sure. And second of all, that it's pass alongable. And so, and, you know, it becomes an open doorway. Um, we, we do a lot of political arguing about what's on what servers, but an email is, right. uh, email has feet. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's funny because a lot of people that we, you know, first discuss security with, you know, we'll see what they've been using previously, you know, or in parallel. And it is, it's email, you know, they're, they're sending unencrypted documents and attachments and email, you know, but all of a sudden they are considering using more, you know, of an online database driven tool. And then security becomes an issue without even realizing what they've been doing with email, you know, for years and years before that. Yeah. It's, it, it's interesting. It's interesting is it, it gets to be security more of uh, an attention uh, issue for production. People do not want uh, an, uh, an EP or album released ahead of its time or in parts and pieces, yep. but Memel had been passing parts of pieces of that around. So it, it's uh, where you are and what you're doing. I remember when Foursquare was starting out earlier, right. uh, a bunch of talent were posting where they were on Foursquare. And it's like, did you really want everyone to know <laughs> where you are? Um, right. And here with your information, you're knowing where people are going to be some months in advance. And right. um, information that is somewhat crucial to people's economic well-being, but security as well. So. Yeah, it, it is. And there's always been that. We've always, you know, had, you know, artists entering where they're staying, you know, for hotels and the flights that they're on. And obviously, you're going to, you know, the, the, the fans that are really intent on they'll finding it out. out anyway. they'll, yeah. They, yeah, I mean, you know, whenever we're on the road with larger A-list artists, you end up at their hotel and there's you know, a couple dozen fans outside of the hotel that just somehow, you know, figured out where they're staying. And mostly it's because that's where the artist always stays, mostly because there are only so many five-star hotels in most markets. So it's not, you know, an exact, it's not that difficult to find out. It's, um, but still, we, we certainly are not going to be the company that, you know, divulges this information. And we don't want any weak links in our system where, you know, anything could be found out. I mean, even, you know, we, we don't want, even basic tour routing, even though that's available on you know, two dozen different sites on where the band is playing. But, you know, our information goes a lot deeper than that. And so we have to take these extra measures in security. So other than things like security, what issues do you see coming in the future? You know, I think it's the, well, one thing that we're seeing a lot of is just the environmental impact of touring. And we're seeing a lot more of the artists we work with, um, you know, kind of take responsibility for that. It's, kind of been you know a, a thing in the past where certain people preach you know about doing things that are better for the environment but at the same time they're running a 30 truck tour and taking private jets and 
you know, doing all these things that leave a big, you know, um, footprint uh, behind when they leave. So that's a big thing. There's artists like Jack Johnson and Dave Matthews that are just really ahead and leading kind of the fight on that to be responsible touring, even from, you know, developing campaigns to pick up your trash at a festival and not bringing plastic containers. And, you know, there's a lot of great companies, especially on the festival level that are doing things that are just, um, you know, a lot more environmentally friendly on site, you know, on what type of things that they provide, you know, from bottled water replacements, you know, to, you know, really delivering a good message on that. So I think that's going to be a big part of that kind of leaving less of a um, footprint, you know, of what uh, touring does to the environment. And I think there's going to be a lot more, you know, it's interesting just, can't really say how the, the, the touring industry has grown, you know, throughout the last 15 years, pretty significantly year over year. And there are some great companies behind that, you know, that are making um, kind of the experience for the fans a lot more interesting. It's not always just, Hey, here's four people on the stage playing music, show up for 90 minutes and then leave. You know, it's becoming a lot more immersive type of experience, you know, especially in these um, festivals like Coachella, where, you know, it's more about that experience than necessarily the band that is playing. So I think that's going to be, you know, without it going to straight holograms, I think that's going to be. <laughs> and it already you know, has gone to straight And it has, right. But, yeah. but I, I, I think the live event is just going to continue to evolve. And I think, fortunately, um, for a lot of reasons, just selfishly for me, is what I'd like to experience live. I mean, there was a, there was a push, you know, a while ago where we thought, streaming live shows, you know, in your home was going to replace a lot of the um, concert event. You know, why go out and spend $150 on a ticket when you can stream it at home? I don't think we're ever going to replace that live experience and kind of the community experience that you enjoy um, when you go to a live event, you know, whether that's a concert or a festival or a sporting event. So I don't think that's ever going to be replaced in a home environment. I think that's always going to point you know to a healthy live culture and live events so making those more interesting um to justify some of the price points that a lot of bands i mean i remember i think um, it was the eagles and i don't know when in the 90s that broke that hundred dollar per ticket price point you know and it was a big kind of discussion within the industry like where are we going are we are we pricing out the consumer by these high ticket prices and now you can almost not find a concert unless you go to a club in your city that's under $75, you know, $50. So I think a big part of the success for that is just the content. And that's just a good live experience. And that can be a DJ, that can be any genre of music, but it's not just about, you know, I think playing music on a stage necessarily anymore. Um, but it's also not, you know, about everything, but, you know, that that's always going to be the anchor point, I think, on why a live event is successful of, you know, seeing an artist that you like on stage um, creating these other experiences throughout that, um, you know, before, during, and after, I think will be a big part for the kind of continued growth of the of the live event industry. And, and then, also increasingly global, yes? Uh, increasingly global? Yep. Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, that's, um, you know, I've seen personally just a, a lot more bands that can come over to the States and play. And the other way around a lot of bands that now can go kind of around the world and play. And I think that's a great thing that streaming has done, you know, it, it's exposed these spots in the world where 
you know, bands can be gigantic in these little regions and go out there and justify, you know, having that one show that could fund an entire two weeks so that they can go play, you know, play around in the area where they might not have as much activity. Um, that without a doubt is a huge help. It's still really expensive to travel internationally. There are, you know, ways to do that, not bringing your back line, not bringing, you know, your gigantic 18 piece drum set, um, <laughs> you know, sharing, you know, tours and equipment and production. I mean, I don't, it, just flying overseas is, I don't, I don't know how anybody does that financially in the first place, you know, with the price of basic economy tickets to London, for example. Yep. But um, that that is it's it's certainly a great way to kind of expand your touch and the um, you know the live event in Europe um, is incredible. I mean the you know mostly it's kind of more of a festival environment there. You know there's way more festivals in Europe than there are in the states, and I think that's leveling a little bit. You know where it's not so saturated. That's that all you see. Um, but that's definitely gotten people out, you know, to experience all these different types of music and bands and that translates, you know, into a healthy industry. And I'm assuming that's provided a lot more international opportunities for your company. Yeah. The the biggest thing we've seen about 25% of our business now is international. And it's, it's not exactly easy to define international because it could mean that the touring team you know, is based out of Berlin, but they're touring an American band you know, in Sweden, um, or there's a Swedish band that comes to the States, but it's all American management, label, agency, and touring team, you know, so it's not always where you see a Swedish band come over using our software and it's, you know, operated by a Swedish team. Um, so we generally just go by where that band is based out of, and it's about 25% that's international outside of North America. And the other nice part of our growth too, has just been outside of music and, we have about 20% of our business is just non-musical um, entities. It could be like a motocross. It could be a BMX race, um, Cirque du Soleil, or different types of circuses use it. The Harlem Globetrotters use it. I mean, we've had all these different types of traveling events use the software. And that's um, really exciting because when you think about the way the Harlem Globetrotters tour you know, or the Red Bull Air Show, it's pretty much the exact same as a tour. You know, there's different levels of production. At the end of the day, you know, there's a team of people kind of moving this operation from one market to another in an incredibly short amount of time that takes a lot of production and logistics, but it's not too different from touring a band around. It's just at the end of the day, you have an air show or a basketball game instead of, you know, 90 minutes of a rock band. But a lot of that is incredible. I'd say 90% of it is almost identical. The catering, the lodging needs, the travel, the logistics, the trucking, everything. Um, sometimes even the venue is the exact same. It's just a, you know, it's a, a, a circus instead of a rock show. Or they're all circuses in their own way. They so, are, yes. They're all traveling circuses. <laughs> so, Paul, um, you're now not touring. You now are living out of no. Chicago. And yes. you now have this um, interesting growing company. As we wrap up this conversation, anything that you'd like to mention before we finish up? Uh, I'm very happy I'm not touring. That, that's, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it was wonderful when I did it. I wouldn't change that experience. And I have nothing but incredible respect for um, the people that I know that do tour, it's an incredibly mentally and physically taxing thing to do outside of just being good at your job. Um, the sleep deprivation, you know, the the um, nutrition deprivation is, is, you know, really difficult to deal with. So 
happy I'm not touring. I'm really happy it got me into this world. I love being in this space. I love the people in our industry. And it is an incredibly innovative time, you know, both kind of with the music coming out and the accessibility to that music, but also, you know, the things that we're seeing in the live event and the technology on the stage and behind the stage. Uh, it's amazing. It's super exciting. And I, you know, couldn't, couldn't think of a better industry to be in right now. So I have a closing question that I wouldn't normally ask, but I got an email okay. the past couple of days from a high school junior who asked me, and I'm, I wrote her back to find out why in the world she was asking me this, but she asked me this question. Um, she wanted to become a tour manager. And so she was trying to figure out what she needed to do. And she was trying to figure out if she needed a college degree and what type of college degree to become a tour manager. And as I tend to tell young folks, I sound like an old person saying this, <laughs> um, go do. Go to school. Right. Well, no, actually, I don't say that as much. Go, no, you don't. Okay. Go do what you want to be oh, doing. Oh, go do. Yeah, right. go do yeah. it. You can then get a college degree or figure what might work on it, but a college degree doesn't necessarily lead to what you're wanting to do. and It's definitely not a turnkey option. You work with and talk with a lot of tour managers. What would you tell this young, wonderful high school junior about yep. in the modern day of tour management how someone would get started? You know, um, to your point, the, uh, the you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in the touring industry, very few, if any, went to college to become that, um, mostly because it was never offered. Now, now there are some great schools like Belmont University, um, SAE Institute, and a couple others that provide actual touring courses within the curriculum and music management and production technique. Um, we, we provide our software to a bunch of these universities just to use as part of the, um, you know, as part of the class. Um, but you are definitely not going to get a touring position just because you went to one of these colleges. And it's, it's exactly that. I mean, I think, you know, probably every tour manager that you meet will tell you of a story of how he had a bunch of buddies and or he she. started or she. He, he, she, without a doubt that started touring with, you know, this group and just for weekends and then that all of a sudden the band got bigger and next thing you know she's touring around the world you know with her friends and we've got awesome examples and actually stories on our blog about a lot of these people and how they got started so it's definitely just get out there and do it and see if you like it because it does seem glamorous to be on the road um you know with a band and touring and seeing the world um, but the realities of it is you don't really see the world. A lot of times you're in the basement or, you know, the backstage of a place in the middle, you know, of a suburb and you're working 20 hours a day. So it's, it's draining, but I would say most of the people that do it absolutely love it and can't imagine anything else. I think just if you have this desire to travel and see things differently in the world, it's a great profession to do it. Um, it and I, wouldn't say that going to any of these colleges and getting a degree would guarantee you anything. Um, but it, you know, a college degree certainly helps, you know, when you're vying for position, um, you know, with five other people, you know, going for that same thing. So it's, it's just finding someone that, you know, whether working at a club, I mean, there's so many people that used to be sound engineers, you know, at a club first, you know, or a runner, you know, at, for a promoter like live nation at a venue, um, you know, these are all experiences that get you kind of in the trenches of the live event in the touring world. And if you're good, you get picked up right away. 
I mean, we know so many people that were runners or, you know, worked as an assistant for a catering company. And these tours just identify them right away. And they know, you know, if these people not only are good, if they hustle, but also if they can live, you know, you're literally living with these people on the road, you know, so that's a big quality that you have to have to be successful is just being a good person, trusting, hardworking. And someone, someone wants to spend an 18 hour travel day with. Right. In a small bus with 18 other people. I mean, I think that's the, <laughs> that's the biggest test. That's the, um, that's the, uh, it is, it's, it is very glamorous. I mean, the ability to, to go to places that you would never do with a normal job is, is a huge plus, but, um, you know, it is, it, it there are challenges both physically and mentally, um, that you have to get over. And we work with a lot of people that have been doing this for you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And it's just, they can't imagine anything else. And usually they're the, the best ones at it. Well, thank you for joining me, Paul. You have the blog that is on your Eventric webpage. Any yes. other way that you'd suggest folks to get a hold of you who are intrigued by this as a company and technology? Uh, yeah. I mean, just any, all of our information is on our website to contact us. You know, we love to talk to people, obviously, if they're interested in our products, if they're just interested in the music touring industry. Uh, anyone that is interested in getting into the touring industry, um, if they're serious, we would love to help them out. We have plenty of people that we can point them to and just talk to them, you know, about it. We'd be totally open to that. So yeah, go to the website, go to our blog. Um, we'd love to talk to anybody about any of this. Cool. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.